0: This is The One Thing Podcast, where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. My name's Jeff Woods. I'm the vice president here at The One Thing Team. If you are listening to this at the time of release, welcome to your new year. What will you do differently this year that you didn't do last year that will allow you to achieve extraordinary results over the next 12 months? What's the one thing you can do such that by doing it will allow you to achieve your big goals? The reason we are recording this episode for you today is because goals are something that most of us were never taught in school. Do you have your goals yet? Do you have absolute clarity on the things that really matter that you accomplish this year? Are they written down on a piece of paper, physically, or printed? Do you have a plan in place to ensure that you make progress toward them every single day? If the answer is no, then it's not too late. The time to take action is now, and hopefully what you're about to discover will help you along that path. So with that, let's get into the conversation today with New York Times best-selling author Michael Hyatt on how to make this your best year ever. Where did this whole idea for your best year ever come
2: from? Well, back in 2012, my daughter, who's the CEO of our company, came to me and said, Dad, I think you have a unique goal-setting process that other people could benefit from. Why don't we create a course? And at first I thought, well, everybody knows how to goal set. And she said, no, no, they don't. And so (laughs) we tried it, and we launched it. And so far, we've had 32,000 people go through the course. And it's been a, it's been a huge success. And so out of that, I thought, you know, it makes sense to get a, a broader audience, uh, with a book. And so that's what I've done this last, uh, 18 months I've spent writing the book and I'm super excited about it. It, uh, is out just in time for people to plan 2018.
0: Amazing. Amazing. We, um, we actually just hosted our first live event for the one thing we did a goal setting retreat and it was amazing. You have people in the room who are in the latter half of their career have been extraordinarily successful. And they're walking out, going, "Oh my gosh, I never actually learned this stuff before." <laughs> so I totally.
2: I know. Where do they teach it? Right.
0: Yeah. Well, what do you see being the
2: biggest mistake people make when it comes to setting their goals? Well, it's funny. This one is so obvious. You're going to just laugh when I say it, but you know, I've spoken all over the country. I I speak to business business owners, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and I ask the question: How many of you believe? In the power of goal setting. I mean, every hand goes up, right? I say, okay, how many of you have a written set of goals for this year? Like every hand drops, with about the exception of about 5% of the people still have their hands up. And for whatever reason, people don't take the time to write down their goals. And yet, interestingly, uh, Dr. Matthews, a psychology professor at Dominican University in California, did a goal setting study where she found that people who write their goals down, just the mere act of writing your goals down increases the likelihood of you achieving those goals by 42%. (laughs) So it's a simple thing, but very few people do it.
0: Well, let's, let's take action on this for the people who are listening. Accountability moment. Are your goals written down? Were they written down for this last year? And do you have your goals written down for next year? Because if you're listening to this as it's coming out, it's at the end of 2017. When do you think is the time to get clarity on your 2018 goals? When, when is the appropriate time, Michael? I'll ask you that.
2: Well, sometimes before the year starts. <laughs> but even for people that are listening to this after 2018's begun, that's fine. You know, the, the, the faster you can get clarity, the faster that you can get your goals written down, the faster you can begin to take action and begin to shape the future. Because it's, the two alternatives is either we drift through life without a plan, Or we set goals and we design our life and design our future. And that's an exciting thing when you think about the fact that we've got the power, the ability to be able to get clear on what it is that we want in all the major domains of life. And then to take definitive action toward creating that future. But it all starts with clarity and with writing down our goals. I, I like this saying that I heard years ago, thoughts disentangle themselves, passing over the lips and through pencil tips. And I think it's true. There's something about writing that helps us get clarity.
0: So let's, let's go down that clarity path because we have found um, just working with people that they really struggle. If you ask them what they want to accomplish 12 months from now, they'll, they'll have an idea. Yet if you ask them what really matters for their life five years from now, or someday, whether that be 10, 20, 30, 40 years from now, they just don't even know how to respond. Michael, what would you say to them?
2: I've experienced that too. And a lot of it is that we've, for, we've lost the ability to dream, you know, mm. be, maybe because of challenges or setbacks or disappointments. You know, We've built a set of limiting beliefs, and basically we live within the confines of those beliefs. I, I used to have this English setter by the name of Nelson, and Nelson was a great dog, and at that time we didn't have a fence in the yard. And if we opened the door, he would bolt out the front door and like an escaped convict, I mean, it would take us like 30 minutes uh, to catch him and retrieve him. But we decided that we just couldn't live with, uh, the time suck that that was. Plus it, it, it was just dangerous for the dog to run out into the street. So he got an invisible fence. Now this is where it gets interesting. So the invisible fence works. You bury a, a wire around the perimeter of your yard. You put this special dog collar on and the collar basically vibrates when the dog approaches the perimeter. So he got so trained with this that after a while we could just take the dog collar off and it didn't matter. He would not approach the perimeter, even if I was standing on the other side of the perimeter with a treat beckoning to him to come. He just wouldn't come, and the reason is because barrier had moved from the external world to the internal world of his head, and that's how for uh, it is for a lot of us with limiting beliefs. If we experience some kind of setback where you know, like I, I went through a business failure in the early '90s, and I wondered if I could ever go out and build a business again. I thought. Gosh, maybe I'm just not any good at this. Maybe I'm just, it's just not meant to be. And that limiting belief held me back for years. But people mm. get this in terms of their age, their gender, all kinds of things that they use as a limiting belief. And it can become, if we're not careful, a story we tell ourselves and an excuse for why we can't dream about the future.
0: You've worked with a lot of business owners. What do you see being one of those limiting beliefs that
2: holds people back from scaling their businesses most? I think that they, they refuse to recognize or an inability to recognize their own agency or their own power in making things happen. And so I know it's very easy to blame market conditions or industry conditions or something that's outside of our control. Back during the recession, um, I was the CEO of Thomas Nelson Publishers. At the time we were uh, traded on the New York Stock Exchange and the recession was brutal. I remember in August, uh, of, of 2009, I believe it was, we actually missed our budget by a considerable amount. And I had an executive coach that came in and she said, why do you think you missed your budget so much? And I said, are are you kidding me? I mean, we're in the middle of a recession and my industry is down and we're really struggling because retail struggling consumer confidence is down all that. So she said to me, she said, okay, I get that. But she said, what is it? Or what was it about your leadership that led to that outcome. Well, honestly, that kicked me off. I thought, <laughs> "What do you mean, my leadership? You know, it's it's obviously out there. It's you know, it's market conditions. I mean, you know, we're in a recession. Don't you read the papers?" And she said, "Okay, I get that." And she was very patient with me. She said, "I get that, but what was it about your leadership? I couldn't get it through my thick skull." She finally said, "Okay, let me ask you this question: If you had to do it over again, could you go back to the beginning of last month?" And would there be things that you would do differently? And I said, well, of course. She said, well, like what? I said, well, I would have met with my sales team much earlier. I would have tried to have my finger on the pulse. I would have asked if there were anything uh, I could do. Could I call in some of our big accounts? Anything I could do to help them? She said, okay, what else? I said, well, I would have monitored the sales more carefully to see what was working and what wasn't working so I could put the fuel behind what was working. She said, okay, what else? So I came up with two or three other things. She said, okay, so what you're telling me, it was about your leadership. And I said, bingo. It was. <laughs> we give it away. You know, we give away our leadership. We give away our power and blame the external world. And the thing I would say to, to business owners is you don't have to do that. You may not have total control. I get that. But you've got way more control, way more power than you think. Oh, that is so, so good. And
0: um to relate what Michael is saying to the one thing, one of the three commitments is the idea of living the accountability cycle, recognizing that every single time you point the finger at something, you've actually got three fingers pointing right back at you. You can't control the market, you can't control everything else. Do you have the habit of looking in the mirror? Michael, when you talk about when when you look at goals, do you believe that goals should be The result that somebody desires to achieve? Or is it more important that it's about the activity or the type of person a person needs to become?
2: That's a great question. And actually, in my book, Your Best Year Ever, I distinguish between two different kinds of goals. And they really require a different framework for each one. But one is an achievement goal. And that's really good for sort of the the one one and done achievements that we want to accomplish, like running a marathon would be a good example of that. Then there are habit goals. These are the behaviors that we want to manifest on a consistent base basis. We want them to recur, and we want to focus on those until they get installed. And conventional wisdom says it takes 21 days to get a habit installed. Based on on the best goal achievement research out there, though, it's more like an average of 66 days. Mm. So a habit goal, yeah, isn't that crazy? So. A habit goal can uh, actually be a, a very good way to achieve sort of a vegans, uh aspiration that you know that maybe is hard to quantify. So, for example, let's say I have a, a resolution as I go into this next year that I want to build my marriage. I want to develop more intimacy with my spouse. Well, you know how much intimacy? I mean, that's hard to measure. It's no real scientific calculation or algorithm that you could use, but you could focus on installing a habit goal like a weekly date night, for example, or a daily check-in or something else, that that behavior all by itself would move you incrementally towards uh, that larger aspiration of building a more intimate marriage. Does that make sense?
0: Oh, a thousand percent.
2: And I remember the first
0: time I heard Gary Keller share that the purpose of a goal is to be appropriate in the moment. And it's not about the marker or the result that you want. It's about informing who the person is that you need to become and becoming the type of person Mm -hmm. who earns the right to achieve those results. And that, to me, was just profound. When somebody reads your book, Michael, what's the biggest aha they're going to walk away with?
2: Well, I think there's a couple, but one of them is kind of the way that I interpret uh, the smart goal-setting system. I mean, we've all heard that, right? Uh, Specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, time-bound. Well, I've got a smarter system, and <laughs> the first R is kind of a step. It's kind of a head snap, because I think realistic is way overrated. And in fact, the goal research says that your goal needs to be a little bit risky if it's going to be compelling enough to force innovation and to capture your focus. Mm. So I say that you can set goals in three different zones, and this is all in the book. But the first zone is the comfort zone. and That's where a lot of people, particularly that come out of a corporate, come out of the corporate world, set their goals, an incremental improvement over the last year. And it's where you feel confident of how to achieve it. Uh, You're comfortable going to hit it. And the problem with that is it doesn't compel innovation. It doesn't grab your attention. It just kind of makes you yawn. So goals in the comfort zone, if you set your goals there, you're very unlikely to achieve them. The next zone is the discomfort zone. This is where you feel some fear, some uncertainty, and some doubt. I mean, it's not called the discomfort zone for nothing. But those negative emotions are often positive indicators that the goal is precisely where it needs to be set. It needs to be risky. But it doesn't need to be in the third zone. And the third zone is the the disillusionment zone. This is where people get Disillusioned, they think of or delusional. They think of something that's way out there, like me playing center for the Lakers is probably de- delusional, given the fact that I'm 62 years old and five feet ten. You know that that, that would be delusional. So you got to dial it back from the delusional zone because it will lead to uh, being disillusioned, or being cynical, or throwing goals, goal setting out the window. And you want to be precisely in the discomfort zone. That's the thing that the goal research says is going to work. Here's some research that was done by Steve Kerr and Douglas Lapelli. They said when goals are set too low, people often achieve them, but subsequent motivation and energy levels typically flag, and goals are usually not exceeded by very much. They go on to say that difficult goals are far more likely to generate sustained enthusiasm and higher levels of performance. Mm. Amazing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. What's been your biggest struggle along your road
2: to mastering the goal-setting process? You know, I think early on, it was just keeping my goals visible. You know, there's something really satisfying about framing up a set of goals, hanging them on your wall, sticking them in your desk drawer, putting them in a, in a book or a notebook and put them on a shelf and feeling like you've figured it all out. I mean, remember that, uh, that book, uh, what was it called? Um, was it The Law of Attraction? The secret? I can't remember now. Yeah, the secret. You it was go. about the law of attraction. Yeah, so there, there's a lot of great things about that in terms of mindset, but, but to think that you can simply, you know, frame up your goals and throw the intention out into the universe and it will happen, not so much. At least that's not been my experience or with my clients. You actually have to take action on them. <laughs> so I used to think that if I if I did the goals, you know, that was enough. But you've got to keep those goals visible. Out of the 32,000 students that we've had, and we've surveyed them extensively, one of the things that we found, the number one thing that derails people is they lose visibility of their goals. They just stop reviewing them. And so what I advocate in the book is that you have a very strict uh, review methodology. And what I recommend is that you review your goals, just skimming them, review them daily. Always asking yourself the question for those unrealized goals, the ones that aren't yet checked off, what can I do today? What action could I take today that would move me toward the goal line in those goals. So reviewing them just in summary fashion, two minutes a day is the most it takes, and then once a week, what I really encourage people to do is go deeper. And part of my process is not only do I say that you need to write the goal, but you need to identify the key motivations. You've got to find your why. What is the thing that makes that goal worth pursuing? What's at stake? What's at stake if you achieve it? What's at stake if you don't? Write that down at least three key motivations so that when you hit the messy middle, you know where that is, that's that's that point at which you've invested too much to quit, but you're not sure you've got the resources to finish. So like, I don't know if you've ever run a long distance race, like a half marathon or marathon, but uh, for me, first time I ran a half marathon, I was so jazzed at the beginning of the race. There were 35,000 people here in Nashville, Tennessee, where I live. And the energy was palpable. Everybody was excited, and I thought, this is going to be easy. Then I got to mile 10, and then I started to huff and to puff and to think, what was I thinking? You know, do I even have the strength to finish this race? And I had to dig deep, and I had to find those key motivations. So my wife says it this way. She says, when people lose their why, they lose their way. And so once a week, I encourage people to review their key motivations and just check in intellectually and emotionally about why that goal still matters and why they need to keep pressing on. Mm. So at least those two times, daily and weekly, and then I actually uh, advocate on a quarterly basis, look at your goals and see if you need to revise them or true them up or get recommitted to them or whatever.
0: Yeah. One of the questions I was going to ask you is, what do you advise somebody to do when they look up and they realize that something that's been on their goals all year long actually just doesn't
2: matter to them anymore? Yeah, you know that happens sometimes because when we're framing up the goal, you know, at the beginning of the year, you know, it's kind of like we see through a glass darkly. We're not, we're not quite sure. We think we want this. Maybe it made sense at one time, but maybe there was a life change that came along. You know, something that altered our world and that no longer makes sense for us. It's entirely appropriate appropriate to remove the goal. You know, I think there's no sense having that goal hang over our head if we've dug deep and we can't, first of all, recommit to it. If you can't revise it, then just remove it. You know, get it out of there and get focused on what's meaningful to you. In my smarter framework, the E stands for exciting. If the goal isn't exciting, you are not going to stay focused on it. If it's not exciting, you're not going to find the energy or the other resources you need to actually complete it. I had one of the people that was in my, uh, they were in my best year ever, five days to your best year ever uh, course which is sort of corollary or a component to the book. And uh, they said, I'm really having trouble getting going on this one goal. I just feel like I'm stuck. And I said, well, what's the goal? And she said, said, well, I need to reconcile my accounting. And this has been on my list for a couple of years. And she said, I just need to kind of clean it up, clean up my books and get all that reconciled. I said, okay. I said, is it exciting to you to think about that? She said, heck no, Hmm. I am not excited about that at all. And I said, okay, then maybe it's a project, but not a goal. And so here's the thing, Jeff, every goal is a project, but not every project is a goal. The things that really you need to identify as your goals are the things that are exciting to you. There's going to be a lot of projects that you're going to do between here and December the 31st, 2018, but there should just be a handful of goals. No more than seven to 10 goals that are personally exciting to you that if you can accomplish them. You can get to the end of two uh, of two thousand and eighteen and look back and say, "Wow, that made this last year my best year ever." Mm, I love it. I love it. We see a lot of people setting goals.
0: We see them start to make progress, and then almost inevitably, it seems like a lot of people start to fall behind. And it seems small at the time; they're failing so slowly they think they're succeeding, and then just boom, suddenly they realize, wow, I've got a massive gap to make up. What do you say to those people when they've gotten clarity on that goal? It is exciting to them. It matters that they achieve it and they have fallen so far behind, they cannot even perceive a way to make up ground.
2: Yeah, what I would say to them is don't walk off the field before the whistle blows. You know, most of the major things that I've accomplished in my life, whether it's actually writing a book, Actually, starting a business, creating a business plan, all those things most of those things happen in less than ninety days. The problem is is that the ramp up to the 90 days or the ramp up to 30 days can take most of the year. so don't walk out the field till the whistle blows. The second thing I would say is make sure the goal is written down. that's going to increase your likelihood, as I mentioned before, by about forty two percent. Then on top of that. If you'll get a group that you can share with, and by the way, I used to think you should share your goals publicly. I don't believe in that anymore. Hmm. Derek Sivers gave a wonderful TED Talk in 2010 where he said, the problem with sharing your goals publicly is that you derive the same psychological satisfaction as if you accomplished the goal. Hmm. So talk becomes a substitute for action. So what I recommend, and Dr. Gales Matthews did some research uh, on this too, where she found that people who had an accountability partner were much more likely, significantly more likely, I can't remember the exact percentage, but much more likely to achieve their goals than those who tried to go it alone. So between going public and keeping it to yourself, I say share selectively. Find a group of people that are for you, people that, that are trying to do in their own lives what you're trying to do in yours, who will hold you accountable, who will give you feedback, who won't let you make excuses, but that's going to dramatically increase your chances uh, of success as well. And then what I also mentioned before is, is make really sure that that goal is in your discomfort zone. Don't be tempted to pull it back into your comfort zone because you're going to lose energy on it and you're not going to achieve it.
0: Yeah. Well, and I'm going to ask you a question because when I look at, I was just meeting with uh, Gary and and I've been spending all morning reviewing our 2018 business plan, our goals for our business, for the next year with Jay this morning. And one of our goals is to scale our membership community. And when I mm. look and I ask who else has scaled a massive membership community, yours is one of the ones that we model and that we look at. Um, and I've been a customer. Thank you. My, my question is, when I look at how many members you have, and I look at what our goal is just for next year, you know, we wanna to get to 3,500 members. And it, for, to us, we're asking the question, how okay. the heck are we gonna get there? For you, you've blown way, way, way past that. I'm curious, how did you go about building such an amazing community? And this is, for everybody who's listening, this is really relevant for you because if you are not in the business of building tribe behind what you are doing, you've got a bigger problem.
2: So, Michael, how would you advise us? Well, that's a great question. Well, the, the community, by the way, is called Platform University. And it, it, it was sort of done in the wake of my New York Times bestselling book, Platform, Get Noticed in a Noisy World. And I saw an opportunity there, and mainly what we tried to do was to kind of deconstruct what the problems are are that people face in trying to build an online platform, and how can we help them avoid all the pitfalls and all the challenges that I faced in taking about 12 years to build my own community? How can we uh, narrow that so that people can do it in a couple of years or 18 months or 12 months? And so once we articulated the problems, we identified Um, what they needed to do to create a sort of a success path, then it was simply a matter of saying, look, we get where you're trying to go. We understand the pitfalls, we understand the challenges, and we've got resources specifically designed to help you go further, faster. So I think it was just sort of an extreme focus uh, on the customer. You know, if you solve people's problems and you really help them to acquire their dreams and their aspirations you will build a tribe. So let me, let
0: me ask you this, because we've been doing it for a year now. Uh, we've got up to about a thousand members. Uh, retention has been good. And our challenge is that we have realized that almost every, quote, tactic that is used in internet marketing actually defies our brand. <laughs> we are in the mm. business of saving people time. And inherently, when you send an email, it pretty much wastes people's time. So we're really trying to strike that balance and ask, how do we in re- reinvent our own model where we can build something that is amazing, serves a lot of people. We've already proven we can do it, but scaling it is where we're just, we're struggling, frankly.
2: Yeah, well, I probably have to know a little bit more about it, but I will, I will say that, uh, you know, it's important to give away great free content, and you're probably doing that in some form or fashion. Yes. It gives people a chance to sort of sample the brew and gives them a sense of what they would get if they come in the inside. And one of the best ways we've done that is with webinars, where we'll do a um, you know an hour of solid teaching, and we do this with everything, with Best Year Ever, with all my different products, and an hour of solid teaching, and then we pivot, and then we make them an offer to join a community or to join a course where they can go deeper. And we're clear about, you know, uh, this isn't for everybody, but if you want to go deeper, this is a program that's designed to do that very thing. Okay. So there may be a lot of tactics like that, but I think it's getting clear on what you want to build. sounds like you guys are. And then just finding the right strategy that resonates with your entity and attracts the kind of people you want to attract. And I will say, say this also, Jeff, Facebook has been huge for us Mm. and we run a ton, like multi seven figures worth of Facebook ads every year. Mm -hmm. And part of what we do in that process is get those people into our sales funnel where we can, Uh, create the kind of trust, help them to know, like, and and then be able to make them an offer that makes sense.
0: Yeah, that makes sense to me. And I think uh, this is where it's relevant to everybody else. When you have clarity on a goal that really matters, like for us, scaling our membership really matters. And you know, you're doing the right activities and the results just aren't happening fast enough. That trusting the domino effect, trusting that over time it'll happen is very hard. How do you advise people when they've set the goal, it matters, they're doing the right activities, and it's just going to take more time?
2: Yeah, here's how I look at it. The goal is the what. That's what I want. The strategy is the how. And what I've observed in a lot of business owners, owners is that they're quick to jettison the what and slow to jettison the how. They, they, they're tenacious about their strategies, even when they don't work. But strategies aren't that important. In other words, in other words like, um, I, I go to Florida, we drive to Florida uh, every fall with our family, our entire family, and it's about an eight hour drive. And we leave from Nashville, drive straight down to the Panhandle uh, in Western Florida. And sometimes we just go straight down 65. Sometimes there's road work and it forces us to detour. The destination is never in question. We know exactly where we're going. We're going to Rosemary Beach in Florida. We've got the place rented. We're going to get there no matter what. But the strategy could change depending on the road conditions. And if the strategy that we're taking is not working, we're going to be quick to find a strategy that'll give us get us there faster. Mm-hmm. And I think the same is true with our business goals. You know, obviously we're not going to compromise our ethics or you know do something that that is not congruent with our brand. But we're quick to uh, change strategies. When we're in the middle of a launch, uh, if something's not working, you know, we pivot. And we're very fast to do that. We'll throw out something and try something else. So often you say to somebody, um, you know, why didn't you achieve that goal? They'll say, well, like, we tried everything. Really? I mean, everything? Well, maybe not everything. Well, and most people don't try that many different th- – those many different things. And in the world of online marketing or just sales in general – I think um, the market is changing so fast that you have to be very nimble and you hold, have to hold your strategies very loosely while while clinging tenaciously to the goal. That's the thing I'm not going to usually give up. Mm.
0: My question for people who are listening to this is where in your life are you clinging to the strategy? And as a result, you end up lowering the goal or making the goal irrelevant when it should be the other way around. Michael? I want you to think of all the experience you've had over the years. And I want you to rewind back to when you were first starting in your professional career. What's the one thing that you know now that you wish you had known then?
2: Well, it, it, it sounds like this is a setup for the book. But honestly, I wish I would have known that I could actually design the future. Because I really thought, I, w- I would have said this out loud. But I was really drifting. And in fact, I was actually pretty driven. But whether you're drifting or being driven, those can be two sides of the same coin. It's the default life. It's not living with intention. And it's not living by design. And I wished I'd been very clear early on about what I wanted. Instead of you know reacting to life, I would have been proacting to life. So that mm. would be it
0: yeah that whole life by design, when you really break it down and internalize what it means, it's pretty profound yet people then they go that's okay, that sounds interesting, and then they just keep going on their way. <laughs> you know they're going to stop the podcast and yeah. they're going to not take action. No um my question for you is, how do you help somebody get clear
2: on what they actually want? Well, I try to break it down by domain, because if you ask, and I'll explain what I mean by that in just a minute. But if you ask, what do you want? That's such a big, expansive question that it's hard to bring clarity. Uh, you know, the, the, the natural response to that will be like, in what area? You know, Because I may want one thing in my vocational life. I may want something else with my health. I may want something else with my most significant relationships. So I break life down into 10 domains. Hmm. And we have an assessment that we, we use with our clients called the life score assessment. And essentially what we do is we ask them to rate themselves in each of those 10 domains. And if some of the domains don't apply to them, like they're not married or they don't have kids, fine. You can actually remove those uh, from, from the assessment and not have to assess yourself in that particular area. So, but to ask yourself to move through those domains and start with yourself, And I call this the circle of being. has to do with our spiritual life, our intellectual life, our emotional life, and our physical life. Those four domains comprise the circle of being. Then there's the circle of relating. And this would be your marital life if you're married, your parental life if you have kids, and your social life. Hopefully you've got some friends. Then there's the circle of doing. And that's the outermost circle. And I try to live life from the inside out. But the circle of doing comes last. But that's going to be my vocational life my financial world, and my avocational life. Because as it turns out, hobbies are really important if you want to live a full, enriching life and if you want to be more effective at work. When most people come to goal setting, they think exclusively about that circle of doing. But here's reality. You're not a human doing. You're a human being. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And therefore, it's important to start at the center, to start with you and your own life in relationship to yourself. What do you want your intellectual life to look like? What do you want your emotional life to look like? Do you want to be more at peace? Do you want to have more joy in your life? Well, get clear on that. What about your physical life? Do you want to be in the best shape of your life? It's absolutely possible. I don't care what your age is. You've got a lot more agency over that than you may think. What about your spiritual life? Do you want to feel more connected to a bigger picture, to a transcendent uh, set of values, to a bigger story that makes meaning of your life in the day-to-day? So getting clear on each one of those domains or thinking through each one of those domains is one of the ways that I've found to get clear on what I want, particularly for this next year. What would my life have to look like by December the 31st, 2018 for me to look back and say that was my best year ever? When you set goals for yourself personally, how far out do you go? Well, I do two things. One is I have a life plan. And I wrote a book on that called Living Forward with my co-author, uh, Daniel Harkavy. And there we look really at, at more like the 25-year vision of our lives. You know, what's the vision in each of those life domains. And then I plan the next year. And in today's environment, I think those two goalposts really make sense. You know, I know a lot of people try to plan three years out. And we, we even in my own business, we sketch out kind of three years. But we're really focused focused on what we want to happen long term i'm talking 25 years and then what we want to happen short term this next year Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. okay helpful
0: what's one goal that you have for the next year that is really big it really does excite you and it is difficult
2: yeah this one's this one's it really does excite me but it's to get my book your best year ever on the New York Times bestseller list. I've had two books that have hit the New York Times bestseller list. Uh, my last one, Living Forward, didn't, mm. but I had the goal for it and I missed it. Now, let me just say this uh, to Jeff, this is important. I didn't beat myself up about it because the book got on the USA Today bestseller list. It got on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. It's now been translated into 17 languages and it's sold over 100,000 copies. And here's the important takeaway, I think, for people listening. Just because you don't achieve the goal doesn't mean it wasn't worthwhile to set the goal because you probably wouldn't have gotten anywhere close to where you did get if you hadn't set a big goal so my goal for this next year and i, I don't have 100 percent control over it but i'm going to work like crazy like i did is to get your best year ever on the new york times uh bestseller list that gets me very excited because of what happens when you hit those big lists
0: amazing and is it gonna, when it comes out is it going to be available on audible as well yes Awesome. I recorded the whole thing myself. Yep. Amazing. Well, folks, Audible, if you do want to get a copy of it, since we know you are audio fans, go to audible.com slash one thing so they know that we sent you there and you can get your copy of Best Year Ever. And Michael, where else can they get the hard copy?
2: Get it on Amazon or your favorite book retailer. They'll be the book will be everywhere.
0: Amazing. Well, Michael Hyatt, thank you so much, my friend. We appreciate you and we're looking forward to supporting you in the launch. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate you having me on. Well, there you have it. My conversation with Michael Hyatt. Folks, what's the one thing you can take action on such that by doing it it would allow you to achieve your goals this year? Will you pause the episode and actually figure that out? Oh, no, Jeff, I'm the type of person who likes to just listen and not take action. That's more fun. That's how I'm going to achieve mediocre results. Well, if that's you, go for it. But I believe you're listening to this show because you want extraordinary results. So will you take action? The thing that I walk away with is really identifying the motivation behind the goal. Why does that goal matter to me? Because as we know, you can get really excited about a goal. You can start taking action. It's lots of fun. There's lots of novelty and excitement. And then it gets boring. And then it feels like the world is attacking you. Is your why big enough to compel you to take action when you don't want to? We hope this has brought value to you. If you would like to get a copy of Michael's book, Best Year Ever, you can go to Amazon, you can go to anywhere books are sold. And as always, you can go to audible.com slash one thing and get it on Audible. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. We love you. Please press subscribe so every future episode is automatically downloaded to your device. And if this specific episode has brought value to you, share it with someone. Thank you. And we'll see you in the next episode.